everyone, and welcome to episode 128 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty, and as always, I'm joined by my forever co-host and brother-in-law. Ryan, you enjoying the spooky season? I am. Yeah, not too crazy um, with scary stuff yet. It doesn't fully feel like Halloween with, like, somewhat covid you don't see kids running around with like masks and things right now besides Mm. what we have to wear with masks like i'm talking like wolverine masks like vampire masks i haven't seen too many costumes yeah i mean well you don't have trick-or-treating around where you are do you no it's mostly adults yeah because we had trick-or-treating the other night and um lauren and i because we are a week away from our trip to uh the caribbean we wanted to ensure that we were not around a bunch of little kids that were potentially sick. Yeah. Uh, just to avoid, you know, getting COVID, we have to test negative prior to leaving. So we just wanted to set ourselves up for success. Lauren needs a vacation more than anyone in the world right now. So yeah. we're really looking forward to taking that trip. And we did not pass out candy for that very reason. We did put out um, a little bowl with candy with a sign that said, Please take two so there's enough for everyone. Were kids responsible? Did they actually listen to the sign? They seemed to be. I mean, there was still candy left in the bowl when we came home. Wow. So, um, you know, it wasn't one of those instances where a kid just takes the whole bowl and empties it into his pillow sack or anything like that. Okay. Yeah, I've never done that. But yeah. Um, So yeah, Ryan, we are back with another episode. It's been two weeks since we recorded. We recorded a very special episode two weeks ago. Yes. Celebrating the 20th or near 20th anniversary of the Nintendo GameCube. So if you're a fan of the GameCube or not, I would definitely encourage you to check out that episode. Ryan and I had a heck of a fun time recording it. We, of course, pulled up some fun advertisements, kind of showcasing what the GameCube was about. We played, um, what else did we do? We played some really great tunes. I had fun editing together a medley of songs from the GameCube as we faded out the episode. And as we do with that particular segment, the Destiny Island Challenge, we share what five games we would take to a desert island. Yes. So it was good times. Really fun episode. So check that out if you haven't done so already. But if you're here and you've already listened to that, we welcome you in. We hope this episode finds you well and healthy, as we always say here. Ryan and I uh, have another fun episode here to kind of ring in the spooky season. Yes, we do. Yeah. So yes. if you are familiar with the segment we've done not too Many times. I think we've only done it twice. Ryan and I have only done it once. And then I had my wife, your sister, on a couple weeks back, and we did the segment together. And that is Memory of Melodies, a little fun play on words for the recently released Kingdom Hearts rhythm game where we kind of select a few tunes um, based on whatever theme of the episode is going to be. So we'll share more details about what we're doing, why we're doing it, why we picked the songs that we did in the back half of the show. But as we always do on Otaku Brothers, we got to talk about the games that we've been playing, the movies that we've been watching, how our weeks have been going, and all of that other fun stuff. I know Ryan and I watched a few spooky movies. Yes, we did. That we got to talk about. We watched a spooky show. In Midnight Mass that we got to talk about, Mike Flanagan's next little limited series on Netflix, which was Good Times. So I think it's going to be a pretty packed episode. But Ryan, as we kick things off here, as we always do, I kind of toss it over to you and say, you know, how's your week going? Any, any, you know, notable things going on? Nothing too crazy. Um, Just kind of a big weather shift. We're starting to see fall Mm. in all of its glory. Um, Finally got that temperature change. We got some leaves changing, which is great. Um, the family or the parents ended up going to South Carolina this past week, um, so they enjoyed 
the eight-hour trip, looking mm. at the trees changing, going through the mountains. They sent a lot of great pictures. Yes. Mm-hmm. So many texts in the family group chat. I needed the chat after about <laughs> midweek because I was like, I was on uh, some conference calls for work and I was just like, man, not only does your mom send like five or six messages, then you and Lauren start liking and loving those individual pictures. Yeah. So my phone is just buzzing off the chain and I'm just like, I, I got, I, well, I can't deal with With so many coming through, I can't respond to every picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like, ha 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 ha. Or like, I like this one because I'm like, I'm in meetings as well. And I can't be responding. And luckily, my phone volume is somewhat broken, so I'm not getting pings. But mm, mm-hmm. and I've muted that chat a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, not last weekend. I went to the range with Lauren's best friend, mm. um, which was a good time. Um, and that, I mean, that's pretty much all the eventful things. What about mm. you? You have a crazy week, just parties and raves. And oh yeah, all your Halloween stuff. Yeah, going downtown, just making a ruckus out of things, just getting crazy. You know, it's really like you, Lauren. Yeah. I live a wild life. So, um, (laughs) no, no, it's pretty low key the past couple weeks for us. Nothing too crazy going on. Again, we've been trying to, um, socially distance quarantine as much as possible just because we are taking this trip in another week or so, which means that we might not have another episode of Otaku Brothers for probably, you know, we're on an every other two week schedule right now. This might be, you know, three weeks from now before we get another episode. Yeah, depending um, on I'm, – I'm assuming when you come back, you're going to want to chill that weekend. Yeah, we'll see how things go. I mean, I, I'd expect to be exhausted and for just to be safe, I, I don't want to expose you to things because I'll be on airplanes and around a lot of people and stuff like that. So Thank you. Um, yeah, I want to keep you safe, of course. But uh, Lauren and I are very excited for this trip because a couple of times throughout the year, I'd taken a day off or uh, back in the spring, I was just kind of most, uh, emotionally, just mentally spent uh, because of work and other things. So I took a week off. But Lauren, because she recently changed jobs and uh, her master's program, she didn't have the luxury of taking much time off. So yeah. this trip is going to just be so critical for her to finally just unplug relax play some switch on the beach read a good book uh drink some um you know fancy little island drinks with little umbrellas and stuff so yeah we're super pumped to kind of get away and uh hopefully you can uh, pop over to the parents and say hi to scoob yes get give him some love all that good stuff but we're very excited about that we actually last weekend were supposed to see uh radke you'll remember that band yeah. the band that opened up for uh the foo fighters for their anniversary tour and uh, this is the second time that i haven't been able to see a show that i paid tickets for to see them because when we were out in colorado we were supposed to see him in denver but we yep. stayed in avon and then lauren and i were supposed to see him last sunday uh but the band they're touring with local h which i've never actually heard, I've of, heard of them the their entire band got covid uh like a month ago Oh. And then they said like like our city was like the the first show back after like, you know, running its course, COVID running its course for them. So I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to uh, live life on the edge <laughs> this week. So That's a little risky. Um, otherwise, we would have worn masks the show and, and just, you know, gone and taken our chances. But we were not willing to take our chances right now just because we're trying to get on this trip, get on a plane and fly to the Caribbean. So. Um, other than that, it's been pretty chill, no major complaints for us. So, um, yeah, nothing really to highlight, but another thing that's probably not worth highlighting, Ryan, but it did happen this week and, you know, uh, I, I'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention it. And that is the, uh, the recent PlayStation state of play. Yeah. It was funny. Like we almost all missed that one. We're yeah. Like, oh shit. Like that is happening 
in like 15 minutes. Well, the writing's on the wall for these types of things. Like if, you know, Xbox or PlayStation or Nintendo aren't marketing the heck out of these things and saying like, hey, you know, we're expecting to do a deep dive on Horizon Forbidden West gameplay or this is an indie showcase that's going to be showing, you know, eight to ten games that our, our third parties are developing or whatever it is. This was kind of just this random tweet a week ago that said, hey, we're going to show some third party stuff. It's 20 minutes, FYI, on Wednesday. And uh, yeah, I almost forgot about it until a few people in our Discord said like, anyone remember that this is kind of a thing? And so I ended up tuning in, man. This is a, a perfect example of when someone throws a one-hour meeting on your calendar, doesn't really give any kind of an agenda. It's just kind of an, an, an ambiguous subject line. Yeah. You kind of like regrettably or begrudgingly go to the meeting. You hop on this call. They share what they have to share, and five minutes later, you're out of the meeting, and you're like, what the heck was that for? You literally could have just sent an email instead of scheduling that one-hour meeting, and this PlayStation State of Play was a perfect example of that. It's like, you could have just sent out a tweet with a little blog post, five or six paragraphs, explaining that this game is coming when, a little screenshot or two, maybe uh, links to trailers for some of these videos. Yeah. I mean... I don't even have anything in my show notes today because there really wasn't much of note that I found intriguing. I mean, I should be excited about a new Star Ocean game, but the game didn't look too great. Yeah, it was chugging. Yeah. No, this is, I mean, they sh- on this one, they should have probably taken the Xbox approach, which is if you don't have anything like super pressing, just don't hold a conference. Mm-hmm. Um, I had two games that seemed cool. Um, one was previously, like you said to me last night, an Xbox exclusive, which I had not seen before, which is Death's Door. Again, looks great. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying now, do I want trophies on it or do I want it on the Switch? Mm. So it's, I'll, I'll probably do Switch. Life's um, greatest dilemmas. Yeah. Cause I have Dead Cells on the Switch and I really like that one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is a hard choice. Yeah. Um, and then I also had Little Devil Inside. That does look interesting. I don't I don't know yet if that's my type of game or not. It almost looks like Death Stranding, but in like little um it reminds me of it's not Journey. What's the one where you had like the old dude and you had to rock it side to side and kind of walk from one place to the other? Old Man's Journey. Yes. Yeah. Um kind of like that, except you have like an inventory. Mm-hmm. I just like the style mainly. Yeah. It looks intriguing. I, I don't know if it's gonna be my type of game or not. I I guess that was a fitting game to end the PlayStation state of play. I just, there definitely wasn't much of note there. And I think that was kind of the, the overwhelming response to this on Twitter and and elsewhere of just like, yeah, I don't, I don't think you really needed to have a state of play for that. Yeah. A lot of the comments in the chat were basically like, this is a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you have most of their AAA games being delayed into next year, like God of War, Horizon, even Elden Ring. Um, Yeah. I mean... I know you have to kind of support your smaller developers or like shit you're porting over to the PlayStation, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do it closer to Christmas and do it like a holiday stream when you have like, hey, final trailer for X, Y, and Z coming out next year kind of thing. Yeah. Hype for next year. I mean, I was surprised that we even got another state of play. I mean, it was kind of one of those things going into it where I was like, hey, I mean, anything's better than nothing, right? I kind of ate those words ate after. Words. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But um, uh, it is what it is. You know, it's yeah. all good. Um, there's definitely no shortage of games, I think, coming out in the next two months. Uh, and even if there's not a, a, a large number of games that are for you, 
there's quite the two, 2021 backlog to catch up on this year. So Yeah, so um, I mean, we had the Elden Ring delay until February. Um, we had Advance Wars, which I was more sad about than Elden Ring, because that was going to be one of my fall games. Is Pokemon even coming out anymore? Yeah, Diamond and Pearl's coming out, I think, November 11th. Okay, cool. I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard much about those. It could be the 19th, actually, but it's been November. Okay. For sure. So I'll probably, that'll be my next game I get. Yeah. I'm looking um, forward to getting those. I, um, I've i just been in a Pokemon mood, and we've talked a number of times that Sword and uh, Shield just didn't quite scratch the itch for me. No. Um, and nostalgia is just plays such a significant role and where I'm at with my interest in Pokemon nowadays. And the Diamond and Pearl remakes, I know a lot of people talked about not really liking the chibi graphical style. I think it's adorable. Platinum was such a significant game for me. We've talked about it previously in the podcast. So I'm looking forward to wandering those towns and just experiencing that Pokemon generation again. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think the music is pretty memorable in, in those games too. So I think this was like known for being one of the harder or the hardest Pokemon. Mm. Besides maybe that Colosseum game on uh, GameCube. But okay. yeah, I think this is like handheld wise is one of the harder ones. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that for sure. Um, and I think the only other games that I had on my list to potentially get this year were Alan Wake Remastered, which I'm probably going to hold off on that until maybe next spooky season, just because I I don't have any kind of significant desire to revisit that game right now. Uh, I enjoyed it on the 360. It's not a game that I was like, I can't wait to play this next Halloween, like the Resident Evil type games. So I'll, I'll probably wait on that. Uh, I did pick up Metroid Dread for for cool. Lauren for her birthday, so I don't know if I'm gonna get to that this year or Does not. Does she know about that yet? Or you, you know me, dude. I get. <laughs> I, I knew the answer, I, but I was I was holding out hope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Scooby's birthday is in January, and I already gave him his birthday present. So wow, you nice. Know? Um, I have a problem. I, I'm expecting my like 50th birthday present tomorrow. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, I, we'll see if that comes. I, I I already do have all of your Christmas presents ordered, and some of them I ordered like three months ago. So fuck, I need to get you shit now. Yeah, it's been a year. Like, was it the painting was what your birthday? I don't really remember what that was. I think it was your birthday for. Yeah, but shit. Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah. So Alan Wake remastered, Metroid Dread, and then outside of that, it was going to be Advance Wars Boot Camp. That was going to be the next one yeah. that I wanted to get for Switch. Uh, and really for the remainder of the year, just because when I was looking at my most anticipated games for this year, seven of them I've purchased, three of those 10 games ended up getting delayed, and that's Elden Ring, uh, Horizon, and one other game that is escaping me right now. Uh, but the other seven games that were on my most anticipated list, I, I did get a couple of them I haven't started, uh, being Ease 9, Monstrum Nox, and Near Replicant. Mm-hmm. those rpgs just because there were so many other rpgs that i i wanted to play prior to playing those games and just haven't quite gotten around to playing them but um all of that to say 2021 has been shaping up to be a really really great year for games which means ryan we have to start thinking about our, our game of the year conversations here in a few months yeah so it's not going to be my, like, another one for my list at least besides the ones you had mentioned i mean advance wars which got delayed and then monkey ball but I'll probably hold off on Monkey Ball for a while. And then Dread as well. 
Um, I might borrow that from Lauren after she plays through it. Yeah. Um, Rick got that one and he's on the final boss and he said it's actually a pretty tough game. Yeah. A lot of people so. have been saying it's really challenging. And I know uh, a number of people that have listened to the show in the Discord uh, and out in the Twitterverse have been really, really enjoying it. So um, I, know, I know I'll get around to it eventually. But Ryan, what do you say we get into some of the games that we have been playing recently? Did you play any spooky games the past couple of weeks? Just one with you. Oh, okay. What yes. was that? Tormented Souls. Yeah, Tormented Souls. This is one that I really was not planning on getting. I know Pete Dorr, our good friend out there, and even Mr. Blinkoom, that was the first game they streamed for the October spooky season. And one thing I will say before I get into Tormented Souls and we kind of ping pong it here with our discussion we were planning on having Pete Dorr on this episode, but um, he's really deep on the um, the spooky season streams right now, and so I didn't want to throw his schedule in a you know through a loop. So I just said, no worries, let's get you on in November, or December. It's all good. Ryan and I have some really fun uh, episodes planned that we can absolutely include you on that episode that I think would be good. So no worries, we didn't get Pete on this episode, but don't. Fear not, people. We're getting Pete on pretty dang soon. But Tormented Souls, if you're not familiar with it, it actually came out not too, too long ago, earlier this year. Little indie developed game, and it's really meant to be a return to survival horror roots. So think your earlier Resident Evils, your earlier Silent Hills with that fixed perspective as you kind of walk through these really dark, you know, dreary environments. Um, And the plot for to kind of summarize it in a sentence or two, you're playing as this young girl, right? And you're kind of investigating the mysterious, weird disappearance of these two twin girls Yes, in this haunted house of sorts. Yeah, it just happens to be in a haunted, like, rundown hospital. Mm-hmm. And like Resident Evil games, it's filled with monsters and terrible things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the opening was ru- like a little bit more graphic than we expected. Yeah. Um, you go to the hospital and you're clubbed over the head. This is like first five minutes, so it's not really spoilers. And then all of a sudden you're naked in a bathtub, you lost an eye, and then welcome to the game. <laughs> and we're like, holy shit. Like, because we were playing at least for the first two sessions, I think, playing over just like you were mic we were mic'd up. I was at my apartment um watching you play and trying to figure out how we do all these puzzles. And like we did not expect that at all. No, that was kind of out of left field for sure. But um, I've really been enjoying my time. You know, last year we tried to play Resident Evil through the Origins collection on PS4. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to say the game hasn't aged well because, right, those tank controls and the earlier Resident Evil games, they they fit a certain mold and they catered to that audience back then. But when playing them today, especially since we've been so spoiled with Resident Evil 2 and 3 Remake... Um, how they've updated those control schemes to fit the modern era. It's tough for me personally to go back and play those just because I didn't grow up playing those games, right? So for me, it is a little tougher to get used to those. But I feel like Tormented Souls does a a really nice job of modernizing it in a way where it still captures the element of the fixed perspective and you feel like you're playing an early Resident Evil game. But I don't know, something about it that I guess they've, they've... streamlined a bit is that you have more save states so you find these camera reels around the the levels that you don't feel like you can only save two or three times i still feel like there's scarcity in how much ammo you're getting yeah but not to the point of resident evil where it's like 
you have one clip to last you the rest of the game. Good luck, you know? Yeah. Um, and that I'm exaggerating, of course, but I just feel like Tormented Souls is certainly a lot more forgiving in both ammo and save states than the early Resident Evil games Yeah, because I think we quit number two, right? Because we lost like an hour and a half of progress because we died. Was it two or one? That was the first game. Okay, the yeah, first one. Yeah, because we played two remake together as well. Yeah, but. two re- So I've... It's surprising to think that I've beaten two Resident Evils. Beats a relative term because you watched me beat the Resident Whoa, Evil games. Whoa, we tagged... T- Whoa, no, the lightsaber one, we fucking tanked together. That was Resident Evil 5. Yeah, yeah 5 was great. Um, probably wouldn't be as great if we couldn't use lightsabers and couldn't tag team. They're like these electrical batons, but yeah. they, they- <laughs> We went into like these... Uh, it was kind of like a shack on the water kind of house. And you're like, how about you just get a baton? I was like, but this one has electricity. And then we went in and you were shooting stuff and I was just fucking slamming my electrical baton and it stunned. It was amazing. It was a ton of fun. It probably wouldn't have been as fun just playing by yourself. It was kind of the co-op that makes it fun. I like Resident Evil 5 a lot more than people give it credit for. I know it really kind of it was a shift in direction for the series and being more action focused as in kind of getting away from the survival horror roots. But Resident Evil 5, I played it on the Xbox 360 originally by myself, but I can definitely say with confidence that that game is best experience with a friend. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The last boss was kind of jank, though. Oh, yeah. 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 But yeah, and then we did two, and we failed at one because we were scared to save, Mm -hmm. and we got a little too ballsy. We, like, saved all of our friends. It was, like, two hours of progress. And then all of a sudden we died and lost it. We're like, you know what game we're never going to play again? This one. And I just left. Um, And luckily on Tormented Souls, like, I mean, we have a guide there because some of these puzzles, there's no way in hell I'd ever figure them out Mm -hmm. before we put it down. Um, But yeah, there's enough for us to not feel like, hey, we're going to lose an hour worth of progress. Because I mean, so far we probably put what, like three hours three and a half something like that yeah and i think if um if we were looking at like a a video walkthrough guide like i just checked quickly to see like where am i at in this five hour walkthrough and we were about two hours through like i I still don't know what happens really inefficient but um um, some of the maps were kind of hard to figure out what connected to what i know we were having some problems there and that's just the fun of it right i mean that, that that really is what it retains from those earlier games is the sense of direction where you're supposed to go pulling up this map, um, you know, seeing where you are in proximity to the next save state or where you need to use a particular key and solve a puzzle, all that kind of stuff. It really kind of is a callback to that earlier survival horror game uh, on the PS1 and stuff like that. So I I definitely appreciate it for that. And uh, it shows its budget, right? It's a smaller indie developed team. This isn't a Capcom developed uh, horror game. It's really nice looking. I mean, the graphics are good. Yeah, it's pretty decent. So uh, if you're looking for something that uh, if you've played all of the earlier Resident Evil games, you're looking for something a little, uh, you know, far out of left field, different from those games, check out Tormented Souls. I, I really think it is uh, worth playing, whether you're a long uh, time fan of Resident Evil or you're more of a newcomer like myself to the Resident Evil 4, 5, 6, and 7s of the world. I think this uh, does a nice job of a callback of the old and a nice little mix of the modern. Yeah, I think so too. So anything else on, on your palette this week for games? Not too much for games. Uh, there was a group Iron Man that came out on RuneScape, so Ben and I have been tag teaming that a little bit. But I've mostly just been uh, reminiscing on some old music, listening to some Eminem, 
which got me into fucking documentaries on Eminem, interviews, Eight and Mile, then, like people's perspectives on him as like people in like the rap community. And then Mike Tyson was there, had uh, interaction, and then that got me into like Mike Tyson fights and his interviews, and it was just a rabbit hole of documentaries. So the games that I've been playing this week. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, so just yeah. chilling with music and, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, man. It's always fun to get nostalgic for old tunes. Uh, and I don't even want to say old. Eminem's not old, right? I mean, uh, I remember when... He's like the, 50. Yeah, but I mean, 50's pretty damn young. Yeah, you're like halfway there. Exactly. But the Eminem show, I remember going to media play with my mom. Oh. Probably aging myself <laughs> there with, with media play. That's, that's obviously long yeah. extinct at this point. But I remember going there and my mom... And my dad, for that matter, really were not intense about making sure that I wasn't playing mature games. I wasn't listening to explicit music. My mom more so than my dad. Like, I got Grand Theft Auto 3. My dad bought that for me when I was like, you know, 8, 9, 10 years old. Uh, just, really? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Nice. I had to buy it from a kid on the playground named Eric Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> because he had it in like the first grade and he was talking about how he was beating up hookers. And I was like... Do you have a PSP version of that? And I had to like sneak him some cash. I don't know how I got cash, but I, yeah, that's how I got games. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I know my parents were never like really restrictive in that regard just because they, I mean, they raised me in such a way that, you know, hitting people with a bat on the side of the streets, probably not, you know, well advised. Yeah. I haven't seen you done that yet. So you've, you've grown and matured. Yeah. It's a testament to my parents, yes. uh, child rearing, I guess. But anyways, um, where the heck was I? Your M games, your your parents didn't really care if you got M oh, games. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So my mom, we went to media play, and she was very adamant about making sure we got the clean version of the Eminem show. Okay. And so somehow, we didn't intentionally do this, and I don't know how one CD wasn't flagged versus one being flagged, because usually back then, uh, when people still went to the store and bought physical CDs, mm-hmm. there was like a sticker that said, clean version, explicit version, just so parents knew, hey, this is what you're buying into, right? And so somehow we got a clean and an explicit version. Oh. So, of course, I made sure once we got home that my sister had the clean version, even though she was two years older than I was, and I had the explicit version. Yeah, you got to make sure those ears don't hear anything that are dirty. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, no, just a fun little anecdote anecdote about – me and Eminem. Yeah, I didn't really – we didn't really buy a ton of CDs or we did – like I kind of started collecting music around where an iTunes was a huge thing and it was like mm. 99 cents a song, which is pretty expensive if you're trying to get a ton of songs. Uh, I'm, I haven't been on iTunes in like 15 years. It's been a long time, but I loved that sense of discovery with iTunes. Like yeah. now with Spotify – I'm not as adventurous, even though it's ridiculous because when you listen to, you know, like if I'm listening to the Foo Fighters and Oasis and Nirvana and Led Zeppelin or whatever, it kind of curates this playlist of music based on what I've been recently listening to. Yeah. So even with those features, I feel like I don't venture far beyond what I consider my comfort food listening, which is ridiculous because I have this like all of the music in at the palm of my hand. Yeah. Where with iTunes, you're right, you did pay for each individual song. And I think maybe that's why I was so adventurous and I'd go down the rabbit hole of finding all of these artists that I never would have otherwise listened to because like, I don't know, like you felt so. Well, you could listen to like a 30 second snippet of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I didn't buy a ton of. I basically use that as a way to fun or not like funnel songs onto my iPod, um, iPod Video, the mm. chunkier of the two. Um, but then I would like figure out my the song I wanted to buy, and then I would go to LimeWire. And I would download it there, which is like a 50-50. It's like a Russian roulette wheel of like, do you want a virus or do you want a song that's in Russian? Or do you want the original song in clean or explicit? It was, it was a lot of uh, crazy, uh, sketchy stuff that went on there. But mm. Mm. yeah, LimeWire, shout out to you for uh, funding my music career. Nice. Good stuff. Well, anyways, we don't encourage the illegal downloading of any music or entertainment medium <laughs> for that matter. But all of that aside, I'll get to the games I've been playing this week. Nothing too crazy outside of Tormented Souls. That's really kind of taken most of my time this week. Following last week's episode, uh, I did end up seeing credits in Pumpkin Jack. Really enjoyed that little 3D platformer. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, Medieval, especially the recent remake for PlayStation 4, it's it's more it plays more like that than it does your traditional platformer. Uh, there's more hacking and slashing than there is platforming, but I, it's it's still a good time nonetheless. Your complaint with that was the checkpoint system, right? For medieval, medieval, yeah. Did it have a checkpoint system like that? Or is no, this- Pumpkin Jack's very forgiving, and you don't even die that much. Um, I don't think there's a difficulty option. It's just, um, yeah, it's pretty forgiving. And and in addition to that, it actually just saw a uh, PS5 and Xbox series um, update. Oh, cool. So, I mean, if you want to play at a smooth 60 frames, uh, and then if you think that's for you, go check out Pumpkin Jack. You know, I, I wouldn't really encourage people to play. I mean, I paid $30 for it, but I think you can get it on sale right now for about 15 bucks on the PSN store and probably the Xbox store as well. So check it out. I think it's well worth playing, especially around this time of year. So Pumpkin Jack, good times. I did pretty much put down Far Cry 6 at this point. I put it down for the same reason that I put down Ghost of Tsushima when that game first came out. Just a lot of stuff. I know the gameplay loop is for me. I'm enjoying what's there. I know that I'm going to pump the time necessary to finish that game and see credits, and go out of my way to get trophies. However, I'm just not in the state of mind right now to play Far Cry 6. That's fair. And the same way that last year, I just wasn't in the frame of mind to play Ghost of Tsushima, and then I waited like three months, and it ended up becoming my 2020 game of the year. That's not going to happen with Far Cry 6, even if I go back to it in December, uh, just because Far Cry games are not going to do anything to push it above some of the other games I've played this year for game of the year title, but uh, yeah, it just wasn't really doing anything for me at this time, even though the gameplay loops that I'm used to for Far Cry are, are absolutely there. Okay. So I'll That's come back to it, if not this year, certainly sometime uh, early next year for sure. But um, the last game that I played that I'll mention is Ghostbusters Remastered. So Classic. I think um, maybe about 10 years ago on the 360, probably even beyond that, uh, the 360, Wii, PlayStation 3, I think there was even Nintendo DS and PSP versions. Um, it, I don't even know if it follows the story beats of the film. Like the first one? Yeah, because another movie from the 80s that I'm a little bit ashamed to say I've never really seen outside of maybe some um, some of the more notable moments in the film. I've never seen Ghostbusters 1 and 2. Wow. Yeah. Come on, man. Those are classics. I know they are. And they're just movies I've, I've never gotten around to seeing. I, I, I really don't have 
a reason or explanation why. So come after me, people. Send me an email. Send me a note in the Discord. Let me know how much of a loser I am. But I have not seen the Ghostbusters films, which probably makes no sense at all for me to play the game. And I think for that very reason, it's why the game isn't really doing much for me. So if you're not familiar with the game, it kind of plays like Gears of War. It's a over-the-shoulder third-person shooter. Really? Where you kind of control a proton pack and you're going around using it to shoot and capture ghosts. And it's a very linear linear game. There's about six to eight levels. I think it it must follow the probably major story beats of the film. What's really neat, though, is that you have Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd. You have their likeness in the game. You have their voices voicing the characters. You're not really controlling any one of those people. You're actually at the very beginning of the game, like this new recruit for the Ghostbusters. Okay. So you're kind of like this, this nameless character that joins them throughout the story of the film. Okay. So, I mean, it's pretty fun. I'm through three of the, again, six to eight levels. I'm going to try and finish it before uh, the spooky season is over. So basically in the next two days or so. Um, But if not, I I think it's probably more fitting to watch the movie, get an appreciation for the story and the characters, and then come back and play it. I think this game is really catering to that audience, not someone who isn't like nostalgic for the films. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Animal House or like Blues Brothers? I've seen Animal House. I've not seen Blues Brothers. Okay, that's another good one. I do have, however, Blues Brothers 2000 on the N64, little fun 3D platformer. Ooh. So. That could be fun. Yeah. Yeah, Blues Brothers is a good one. Um, Yeah, I would say definitely watch the movies first and then, um, because they aged really well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. They still hold up um, because a lot of it was done practically. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah. That's cool. Good stuff. So yeah, that's really all I've played the past two weeks. Uh, As Laura and I kind of take our trip to the Caribbean, what I am going to do is bring my Switch. Lauren will bring her Switch. I did order Mario Party Superstars, I think is the new one. I can't keep all of the subtitles straight for the Mario games, but um, this kind of has the best of all of the prior Mario Party boards and mini games, uh, streamlines a lot of the mechanics. So uh, it got really, really strong reviews. So I'm excited to uh, dock the Switch and play some Mario Party with Lauren. My dad is actually going on the trip with us because he has timeshare in this location. So uh, it'll be fun to play some Mario Party with my dad and Lauren. And then I'll also take some Mario Golf because my dad, uh, we got him, of course, the Switch Lite earlier this year for Father's Day. So he and I will probably play a couple rounds of golf. So should be good times. And then I don't really know if I'll get much gaming in on the PlayStation or otherwise leading up to the trip. But definitely we'll have some impressions of Mario Party Superstars by the time Lauren and I get back. Very cool. But enough of the games that we've been playing recently, Ryan. What I want to talk to you about and pick your brain about is a movie that came out uh, more recently. Yes. The sequel to a follow-up from 2018. <laughs> And a series of movies that I'm actually pretty fond of, and that's Halloween Kills. This is the follow-up to the 2018 film, which chronologically is meant to take place 40 years after the events of the first movie, John Carpenter's 1978 Halloween. They basically said all the movies in between are not canon anymore. We're just making this next movie directed by David Gordon Green, the next chronological step in the, the series. So it goes what? The original, then these th- uh, three? Is that how that's going to mm-hmm. work? Yeah, so this and is kind of like a end. little trilogy of films. Uh, this is kind of the second chapter, and it did not review well, 
and some people in our Discord were saying it was pretty laughably bad. But I'm curious, what were your thoughts? Well, okay, so I don't really have any love for Halloween. Um, I don't, we never really watched them. Um, I've seen Psycho, but that's kind of the old Halloween movie. Like, that's really my old or only experience outside of like Disney Channel witches or whatever. You want to know an interesting fact? The lady in the shower of the more notable psycho scene yeah. is Jamie Lee Curtis's mom. Really? Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think I watched the original with you, or you made me watch the original, one of those, maybe yeah. a couple years ago. That and Playing Kingdom Hearts were kind of like absolute necessities for us ever talking together, talking to yeah. each other. There's been a lot of requirements to stay your friend. It's yeah. uh. It might be unhealthy. I run a tight shift. What can I say? Yeah. So for then you maybe watch Halloween in 2018, which I mean, you know what you're fucking getting for these kind of movies. It's not going to be like it's a scary movie. Like scary movies suck. They're ju- I mean, whoa. The the way I say that is the characters are not going to make the most reasonable choices. It's like oh, should we split up? Yes. Let's go in the most vulnerable places. This has a bunch of chainsaws on the room. Huh, let's take a bath. <laughs> it's just like, what are you doing? So, like, you know what you're getting into, the genre. It's a little bit cheesier. If you take it seriously, you're going to be let down. Um, but, yeah, 2018 was a good time. Um, I think at the end, spoilers for a three-year-old movie, um, they light him on fire in her house because she kind of made a bunker out of her house after having mm-hmm. a traumatic experience 40 years earlier and her daughter is kind of like yo you're nuts and the granddaughter is kind of like hey i want to get to know my grandma but her mom's like yeah she's nuts um they end up figuring out that yeah michael myers is kind of a big deal and he's immortal and uh yeah that's kind of where this one starts out and it's like immediately after the end of 2018 Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I mean, I'm someone who kind of is on the opposite end of the spectrum where, you know, the first two horror movies that I ever remember or have a recollection watching when I was a kid was Pet Cemetery 1 and 2, uh, I guess three movies, Pet Cemetery 1 and 2 and John Carpenter's Halloween. So I was exposed to those movies at a very young age. And subsequently to that, you know, I went through all of the Halloween movies, uh, H2O which is kind of the 20th anniversary after the first film in 1998. Really enjoyed that one where he actually gets his head lopped off, but then the following one after that, it wasn't actually Michael Myers, it was a different guy. The story of these movies are so outlandish and ridiculous, and it's just meant to be another fun popcorn slasher flick. It makes sense why you would pair this with Kingdom Hearts and Requirements, because they're both both convoluted fucking stories. It's true. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, I mean, like, so my my exposure was more like The Shining, and then it went into, I never watched The Ring, but like The Grudge, and The Grudge kind of turned me off to a lot of those. I really like Cabin in the Woods. I'll preach a ton, but that's more of a parody of the whole genre. I'm like, how... There has to be a virgin. There has to be a cheerleader. People are having sex in the woods next to zombies and they're going to die. Like that kind of stuff. And I like the parody on the genre. Um, As far as this one, um, yeah, it was a good time. I I went in with zero expectations or about the same expectations that I went in for 18. Um, I don't know how spoiler we want to get. No, I don't want to get into spoilers. I I really want to just kind of share my, you know, brief thoughts that – 
I understand the criticism. I, I just I don't understand what people's expectations of the film were given what's come before. I thought 2018 was a great not even reimagining, but just like if you're gonna wipe out the um the lore of all the prior movies other than the first film and have like this 40 years later, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's character is very distraught. She has a ton of PTSD. She's trained for 40 years, knowing full well that Michael's going to find a way to escape and I need to be ready for that because he's going to come after me. I thought it was really well paced and just a great um, next step for um, the story. And I I loved how they brought in uh, Judy, whatever. I can't remember the actress's name, but her daughter and her granddaughter. I loved bringing them into the fold and how the the 2018 version uh, or movie wrapped up, I thought was really well done. I kind of wish they would have left it at that and moved on, but the movie like surpassed its budget in the box office by like 10 times. So of really? course they were going to, um, oh, damn. I mean, the, the fan base for Halloween is it's generational at this point, right? Yeah. It's 43 years ago that this, this movie series has been running. So there's such a tremendous fan base behind the films, no matter how ridiculous they are. And the 2018 movie did so well. It made sense that, they were going to turn this into a trilogy of films. I'm happy they're leaving it at that. However, things conclude in the next one, which is Halloween Ends, which I like that. I mean, it almost, in my eyes, if it's going to be Halloween Ends, I think that whether Michael Myers dies or um, some of the more other notable characters die, I don't know. Um, But the way this one went down and how it ended it was cheesy it was corny it was over the top all of those things i also expect all of those things in a halloween it's kind of like going to f9 and being disappointed because it's too over the top it's like why in the world are you going to see these movies if you're not expecting that yeah uh i mean it was kind of cheesy but i mean a lot of the motivations of the characters make sense if you have a serial killer haunting your town for 40 years and you have like most of the older generation being like yo a lot of people died a bit ago this is an anniversary of like death um bunch of the rallying stuff was kind of cheesy but like you know it happens i thought it was a fun middle chapter um We'll see where things go in the next one, but I'm ready for it, and I'm certainly here for it. If you relate these to the Lord of the Rings movies, I mean, you have the bookends of, like, high-quality stuff. 2018 ended in fire, just as uh, Lord of the Rings ended with the Belrog fight. So, obviously. And then this, the middle one's kind of more plot and establishing where you're going in the final one. And then uh, in the end of the next one, it's going to be Jamie Lee Curtis is... uh, crowned queen of ministereth i mean she is the scream queen so it makes sense <laughs> exactly either her or sydney prescott from the scream movies literally so yeah so uh return of the queen coming uh in a couple years maybe uh, for halloween next october actually i'm looking forward to it but i did watch one other not even i wouldn't even say horror movie but kind of a suspense thriller that i want to talk about and we are going to go into spoiler territory, so I will have a uh, little flag in the show notes when we do that. Uh, I don't suspect Ryan is going to run to the to Amazon Prime and rent this movie anytime soon, but it is a M. Night Shyamalan film. Okay. Stark Who has a, a shaky track record. He has some really high highs and some very low lows. I'm looking at you, Avatar The Last Airbender. So 
But I'm always so intrigued with his films because he he always has really interesting stories. They're not always executed well, but I think just the story he's trying to tell conceptually is always super intriguing. Okay. This one is no exception. So when I saw it advertised, I immediately was like, I I need to see this. Like, this is so Is this fa- old? Yes. Oh, I watched this one. You did? Yeah. Did you really? When did you watch this? Like last week. Really? Yeah. With who? Myself and my dog. <laughs> Why didn't you text me? I, I didn't think about it. I didn't think of it as like super scary. It's a really interesting plot. Yeah. So we're going to go into it. We're, I'm glad that you've watched it. I didn't think you would, you would, you'd seen this. So, well, this one was like, yeah, I, I, after Avatar, I mean, you have what the Sixth Sense, which is a, like one of a classic movie of his. And then you have Avatar, which like destroyed my hope for him being a good director. Well, there's a lot like, in between, though. I mean, you have The Sixth Sense, then you had Signs, you had other movies like The Happening that were awful. You had The Village in the early 2000s. You had good. The Visit when those two kids go visit their grandparents. Was that Shyamalan? That was Shyamalan. Was a uh, Glass and uh was that Shyamalan? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, he has an interesting track record, but like I said, a lot of his movies are super fascinating. So Old, I think, came out earlier this year. Uh, I, of course, did not venture to the theaters to see this particular film. If you saw it advertised, really the kind of the high-level concept is all these families end up making their way to a beach, and time seems to be accelerated. So these people are aging far faster than they should be on planet Earth, right? So um, the movie kind of starts out, where a number of families make their way to this resort of sorts. And you can tell that there's just some interesting family dynamics going on. The, the kind of the, the family that's front and center, it's a wife and a husband and their two kids. And the wife and the husband are having conversations around potentially getting a divorce. The mom says that, you know, you kind of read between the lines that she either has cancer or something's going on, but you don't really get the full extent of what's happening. You also have this young boy of theirs who just seems to be super bright. He's very, very smart. And so as they're at this resort, they're hanging out at the pool, they're hanging out at the local beach. He's walking up to all these little, all these people, asking them their occupation. And it's almost where it's one of those things where he retains all this information magically. He ties names of people and faces to occupations. He also meets this young little boy there who is the nephew of the owner of this resort. And so they're talking and they're going back and forth and they're playing this little game of truth with each other where um, they're just sharing these different truths. Well, the nephew shares with this young boy that uh, he doesn't have any friends and that, you know, his uncle always sends people away so they're never going to know each other. They're never going to, they're not going to retain their friendship. So what they end up doing is exchanging these weird little uh, decoded puzzles where the nephew send or gives these little pieces of paper with messages on them and they t- he ties these weird symbols to letters. So then it's up to this young boy to tie the letter to shape and decode the message. And it could be fun things like we're going to have an ice cream slumber party tomorrow. So what we don't know at this point in the film before they go on this little uh, – Excursion. Excursion, if you will, is the young boy gets one more message to decode from the nephew. So fast forward, these few families, they're told they're going to go on this excursion. 
by themselves to an exclusive beach. Yeah, it's it's the best beach on the whole island type of thing. And oddly enough, the driver of the van that takes them there is M. Night Shyamalan himself. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so that was kind of funny. He's just a goofy dude. So all these families, they make their way to this beach and this is where the really weird shit starts going down. So we're not, I'm, I don't want to go through everything that happens, but at a very high level, they quickly realize that people are aging very, very fast. The old woman that's there, she's an elderly lady. She dies within like an hour or two of being there because you eventually find out that every hour there is two years of our real world time. Yeah. Which is crazy. And so the woman who is eventually going to get divorced from her husband and has these two kids, you quickly realize that she actually has a tumor in her stomach. Well, when they come to the island, it's a tumor the size of maybe a pea. Well, eventually, they perform surgery with this little tiny knife and get the tumor out. By the time they remove it, it's like the size of a cantaloupe. What was so fascinating, though, is that the moment they perform an incision on her stomach, it heals because the moment they perform the incision, it's as if five years had gone by. So it just, the the wound itself closes up. So then they have to get people to like hold the wound open to get the, the, you know, the tumor out. A number of other weird things happen, but I'm just going to flash forward to the end because that's when, for me, going back to my point about his movies conceptually are far more fascinating than they are in execution, is that pretty much everyone dies except for the brother and sister whose parents were going to get divorced. So they're sitting there roughly about age 50 at this point. It's the following morning, the day after they had gotten there, and they're sitting on the beach just wondering, should we try and find a way out? And that's, you know, you're probably wondering if you're listening to this and haven't seen it, why don't they just go back the way they came? Well, their bodies and their cells had become so accustomed to the way that they're aging that they just pass out when they try and leave this barrier yeah and they're i mean so they're on this kind of exclusive beach with this high rock wall so they i mean if they getting out of this kind of field that they're in this kind of zone they pass out and if you try to swim out to the ocean you'll drown if you try to climb up a cliff you'll fall off the cliff because you'll pass out and drop like 50 feet Um, and if you try to go through the cave that they came in you'll pass out as well yeah so they're kind of sitting there just looking out um, at the sea as the sun rises, just thinking that their end is near, right? And so the brother is like, well, why don't we just build a sandcastle? So they start building a sandcastle. And then he kind of just passively says, you know, I forget the little boy's name, but he's like, you know, that boy had one more message for me to decode. And then his sister's like, well, why don't, why don't you just decode it? And he says, okay. So he goes back to his bag. He grabs the message. He starts decoding it. And you just see this like look of shock on his face. And she's like, well, what does it say? And she looks back at him or he looks back at her and says, he holds up the note and it says, my uncle doesn't like the coral reef or doesn't like the coral. So they immediately look out in the ocean and there's just this giant coral reef there. So they're thinking at this point, maybe this is our exit. This is our way out. And it is. So what it ends up being is kind of this barrier, if you will, around um how would you even describe it? Their ability to exit, their body can naturally get accustomed? Just think of it like an electromagnetic field. You have like a, like, they're basically getting out of that. Like similar to Lost. Yeah. Um, 
it, you have to go through that kind of electromagnetic barrier to get to that island and everything else that kind of it's like the plane crashing when it kind of hits that barrier. Yeah. So other things that happen or kind of alluded to earlier in the movie is that as all these crazy events are taking place on the beach, they kind of see these shining lights off in the distance. And so they start thinking, someone's recording us. Like, this is sick. We were brought to this resort on purpose and put here as like this weird science experiment. But that's really all you get until the end of the film when this brother and sister start swimming through the coral reef. They have to hold their breath for a ridiculous amount of time in order to make it all the way through this, you know, coral reef underwater. And at this point, it kind of zooms out to M. Night Shyamalan. He has all of these computers set up recording all of these people. He phones it into some like headquarters of sorts and says, yep, the final two people drowned. Yep, sure. Yep, they're not coming up. I don't see them. We're good to go. I'm, I'm heading back to base. So at this point, you really have no idea what's going on. M. Night Shyamalan is known for his twists in the late end of these films. So then you find out that there's this weird science experiment going on back at this quote-unquote base, which is just the resort, where all of these scientists have all of, these, all of this experimental medicine. So they profile these people who have sicknesses whether it's tumors epilepsy all of these different things and the moment they're greeted at this resort they're given these cocktails yeah. with this experimental medicine they send them to this beach to see if the experimental medicine will in any way help them overcome these sicknesses whether it's cancer and they found out with this one woman who was at the beach that we witnessed she didn't have an epileptic epileptic can't say that Epileptic. Word. Thank you. Seizure for like eight hours, which is really like 20 years in real world time when yeah. normally she would have multiple seizures per day. So for them, it was this big, you know, celebration of sorts that, hey, we understand that dozens of people are dying through these trials that we're running. But think of the millions of people we're going to save the more and more we do this because with any other experimental medicine, whether you're treating cancer or something else, obviously you're working on a real world people and real world time. So you don't know if these cancer treatments or whatever that are very experimental yep. are going to work or not because you have to wait literal years, right? Where here it's very experimental and you time Within an hour, you can know an hour or a year worth of long term. Um, I mean, Wait, wait a couple hours just even like hey your eight hour shift you went through eight hours or eight years worth of how does this drug affect someone yeah so i that was when my head just like was just like completely i just couldn't believe what i was watching right? yeah i did not expect that twist ending at all yeah i mean so you know the long and short of it as you'd probably expect the brother and sister did end up making their way through the coral reef they go back to the resort one of the guys that the young boy asked his occupation he was a cop so he goes right up to him and on the beach, he actually found this notebook of a prior person that died on the beach documenting everything that was going on, you know, saying that this beach clearly was um, what it was doing to people and all of that kind of stuff. This resort was purposely bringing these people here. So they end up arresting the entire staff at the resort and the young nephew is end up ends up, you know, reuniting with the older man and says like, hey, it's Trent. 
And the young boy, knowing full well that only a day has passed, 24 hours, yeah. and he's now not greeting a six-year-old boy. He's he's talking to and touching the face of a 50-year-old man. Yeah. So it, it was just so interesting and fascinating to think about. Um, and, of course, watching this, my mind started going to Interstellar where they go to that island or they go to that planet, sorry, where every like hour there is like 30 years back on Earth or something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. With it, the giant like tsunami wave. Exactly. You just start thinking about like time dilation and yeah. fucking time space and all that. Yeah. And it, your yeah. mind just starts like melting when you start thinking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. It was an interesting twist. Um, probably one of my more favorable ones of his uh repertoire of mm-hmm. movies um, definitely and, didn't see it coming no and even though i've spoiled it just watching how things play out like i didn't spoil or talk through everything that happens on the island some of it's depicted in the trailer as well um but it's it's definitely worth watching it's my sweet spot for horror suspense thriller type movies is about an hour and 20 hour and 30 minutes this overstays that welcome a little bit with an hour and 48 but what i love about m night Shyamalan movies is you get to about an hour and 20, hour and 25 minutes in this film, you still have no idea what's going on, and the next 20 minutes are kind of exposing that that resort is this, like, science experiment, basically. Yeah. You know? No, it, it picks up fast at the end. Yeah. So, definitely check out Old, um, and if you're looking for horror movie recommendations and you're not familiar with M. Night Shyamalan's catalog, the next one that I'd probably recommend if you haven't seen The Sixth Sense or Signs, excuse me, is the visit? Yes, that's yeah. a good one. It's a, it's really a very, one. very good one. So, so yeah, watch some horror films, played some spooky games. Tis the season, right? Yeah, we watched uh, Midnight Mass as well. If we want to talk about that. Oh one. Oh my gosh, yeah, we can absolutely talk about I Midnight sp- Mass. <laughs> well, we I came over here last night um, on Friday, played some Tortured Souls, and then you're like, "Hey, you should uh, watch uh, Midnight Mass." And this is in the like the Bly Manor, the what's the other one? Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Hill House, which is the first one. And then this third one, you had watched it, and you're like, you should watch that. And you're like, oh, it's only seven uh, seven episodes or seven hours of media. You can finish that by the time we record tomorrow. And I was like, fuck, I mean, technically I could. So I went home and just binged seven hours worth of media. What do you think? I liked it way – so Hunting a Hill House is the best one, the mm-hmm. first one. Um, then I would say it's this one, uh, Midnight Mass. And then Blind Manor is kind of a distant, far, re- or far down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, it's without spoiling anything. It's too. I mean, I really like cults, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where it goes. Don't say the other thing. I'm not going because that that is a spoiler. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the other thing I really like as well, but like the whole cults and like I'm. I'm a big fan of like documentaries on like Jonestown, the Moonies, um, like Marilyn Manson and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that like watching it in like kind of a dramatized. Marilyn Manson's a like the goth singer. I think you're thinking of Charles Manson. Charles Manson. <laughs> One of those guys. <laughs> Beautiful People is a great song. Go out and listen yeah. to it. Yeah. Check Marilyn it out. Manson's actually pretty cool though. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. I mean, I I watched it in the last, like, two hours ago I was watching it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a good time. What about you? Yeah, I don't really know. Um, I'm still, I guess, processing it. You know, I watched our good friends over on Tarkaron. They reviewed it. 
and uh, go go and check it out. You know, they they spoke about it both spoiler and spoiler free for about an hour and twenty minutes, and I really connected with a lot of the things that they were saying and agreed with a lot of their um, their positives and their 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 criticisms of the the show. It's it's seven episodes. It's a limited series. Uh, Mike Flanagan is an absolute genius, not only with horror and storytelling, but as a director, he just finds really unique ways to film scenes uh, in ways just nobody else is doing. And I think he he does that just not as well as Hunting a Hill House, but in some really unique ways still with Midnight Mass. I'm not going to go into spoiler territory, but I did really like it. I think the first four episodes were really strong. The final three, I wasn't as on board with. I, I don't feel like they stuck the landing with this one, uh, but I would absolutely recommend to people. And I think, you know, if you're into that cult type stuff, really dark horror storytelling, this is a must watch. I mean, anything Mike Flanagan puts out, I'm going to be the first one there. I'm going to carve out eight hours out of my day to binge the whole damn thing just because yeah. I, I feel like even though Bly Manor you know, following the footsteps of something like Haunting of Hill House is darn near impossible, mm-hmm. right? So um, even though I have my gripes and criticisms of both Midnight Mass and Blind Manor, I still feel like Mike Flanagan is building out a ridiculous resume for himself. So this really reminds me of like American Horror Story of how they have different seasons, full plots with the same kind of reoccurring cast. Exactly. Yeah. Which, I mean, I American Horror Story... It's hit or miss for me. I've watched most of the seasons. There was one with like more political that I didn't watch and I skipped over. Um, but those are pretty high quality. And then these as well. I don't know if he's going to make another kind of. I'm sure he he's will. in the Netflix train. And one of the things he tweeted the other day that I would be so on board with is he talked about how not only is he a tremendous fan of Star Wars, but. He kind of just kind of tooted his own horn a little bit by saying, like, I'm also a pretty good uh, horror storyteller. Um, how cool would it be if I got the rights to make uh, a horror Star Wars film? And you could do that. Um, I don't know if they how they would do Luke, but there's one where uh, it's basically Luke where he's a Jedi master and he's dealing. I forget the name. Remember that planet where you had like the embodiment of the dark side, you had the embodiment of the light side with the brother and the sister and then the father? Oh, this is the Clone Wars, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the mother who is actually kind of like the help on that island who ends up like jumping in the pool of power and becoming just this corrupt, like horrific looking character who just is about ready to absorb galaxies with like how much power she has. And then the plot comes with, like, Luke and his Jedi disciples trying to team up with the Sith to try to take her on at that level of power. That'd be amazing. And you could turn her into, like, a horror kind of character. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and the other cool thing about Star Wars, too, is that the the characters and the creatures in that whole lore is so rich whether you borrow from the extended universe, all of the novels, TV shows, video games, the movies themselves, the possibilities are literally endless with what Mike Flanagan can do. Yeah, I'm not sure how well some of those actors and actresses would translate to the Star Wars universe. But, I mean, if Haunting a Hill House, Bly Manor, and Midnight Mass are 
any indication, their line delivery is almost second to none. I mean, how they're able to uh, stay in character and maintain these these monologues for five, eight, ten minutes at a time is is mind boggling. Yeah, no, I mean, as far as the casting that they've had so far, they they've done a great job. Um, I I don't know if I've had any issues with their casting f- since the beginning mm-hmm. so far. So yeah, if that they get on the Disney, I mean, I'm just wanting a good action packed Star Wars. I know we have a few things coming down the road with like Obi-Wan Kenobi. We have the Ahsoka Tana stuff, which uh, we'll have Hayden Christensen in there. But mm-hmm. like, I mean, we just had a few different anime Star Wars, but if we had a horror, that would be taking it in a totally different direction. I just, you know, everything right now and rightfully so, and I'm all on board for it. I'm not trying to criticize what's going on with Star Wars right now with all of those shows, but all of those are really kind of just stroking the uh, not ego, but they're really just catering to the nostalgia of the fan base right now. You've got your Boba Fett show. You've got the Mandalorian that's really, you know, riding the nostalgia train. You've got Ahsoka Tano. Hayden Christensen's coming back. Like they're really kind of catering to the nostalgic Star Wars fan base, which I love and I'm all on board for. But to bring someone like Mike Flanagan in to direct and having someone like Filoni and Favreau to write a horror related Star Wars film. I don't know how you end up with anything but greatness from something like that. Yeah, it'll get them out of the box or that rut that they're starting to put themselves in. I just think if you look for, you know, the nostalgia stuff is going to get old eventually. You know, even with the end of Mandalorian season two, a lot of people weren't on board with how that last episode played out because they're tired of the Skywalker universe. I mean, you're starting to see it now with Marvel. I mean, we're 24 movies in after Endgame. And this, like the two movies that came out after, are not reviewing well. Mm-hmm. That like the one with the nine rings, and then the Eternals is getting it's the worst reviewed one so far. And I think similar to Marvel, people are going to get burnout with Star Wars. You got to uh, keep things fresh, bring in fresh perspectives, and I think um, I, I think so bringing someone in like Mike Flanagan would just put such a different lens on Star Wars that would be really fresh, but also. Just pretty damn cool. Yeah, I'm all I'm down for that. Yeah, so check out Midnight Mass, and certainly, what I love about Mike Flanagan and everything he's done for these three, uh, these three series, is I can confidently recommend them to people that are not fans of horror. Yes, because yeah. it's so central and focused on the characters and storytelling that yes, some of it's terrifying and really creepy and unnerving. But even if you're not a fan of horror, you're still going to enjoy it because you're so invested in the characters. Yeah, I mean, I think the best one out of that is Hunting a Hill House and probably the scariest of them Mm -hmm. when I'm trying to think of like the darkness. It's just really dark for how they're doing the shooting. Um, And then the next one, I don't know, the Midnight Mass wasn't that really that wasn't. Wow, it wasn't that scary. I think there was maybe four jump scares in the entire thing mm-hmm. out of seven hours of media. But it's it's still unnerving and creepy. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it's very atmospheric, and mm-hmm. they, he does a great job of keeping that tension, but not to an extreme where every corner and like the way he shoots it, even in the daylight, the angles you kind of expect something to happen, and it, whether it does or doesn't, you're like, okay. I can rest easy at least for the next scene. Which mm-hmm. is, yeah. So yeah, you go check out uh, Haunting a Hill House, Blind Man- Haunting a Blind Manor, 
Midnight Mass, all really good stuff. And man, I am so excited to see what Mike Flanagan does next. Yeah, me too. Well, with all that said, Ryan, what do you say we get into the main topic of the show? Yes, let's do it. We talked earlier about it being the spooky season. This episode will come out just before Halloween. I'll release it here on the 30th because we're recording on the 30th. But we are returning to our Memory of Melodies segment. Like I said earlier, also, this is kind of a play on the Kingdom Hearts rhythm game name, which is actually Melody of Memories. I know we've kind of thrown some people through a loop uh, since we flipped the names of those. No one knows (laughs) what the name of the game is. No one knows what the name of our segment is. But kind of the whole idea for this, you know, dating back to episode one, we've played so many random video game songs and some other just random songs yeah. on the show. We've played a lot of music. It should be no secret if you've listened to this podcast for any inkling amount of time that music is so integral to my life. You know, when I look back at my childhood, um, I music and albums are really timestamps in my life, yeah. right? When I look back to uh, years like zero through seven, there's very particular albums that my parents would listen to and then getting into my teenage years and high school and college. And even since Laura and I've been married, there's just very particular songs and, and, and albums that are, are, are highlights for those points in my life. Yeah, I mean, like even this week, me going back and listening to Eminem, like his whole library, it kind of just a good way to reminisce. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so that's kind of what this segment is all about is finding very specific songs that have um, very memorable memories that we associate the songs with. And so uh, if you'll remember, you know, earlier in the year, Ryan and I kicked off the segment with songs that kind of remind us of the summer, you know, songs that kind of just remind us of of simpler times. And then Lauren and I did a segment uh, around handheld nostalgic goodness. So really songs that remind us of our childhood, playing games on the Game Boy, the DS, the PSP, things like that. And this time, we're centering the entire segment around songs that remind us of the spooky season. And I also kind of gave you the caveat of don't kind of pigeonhole yourself to be just freaky songs. Also, you know, if there's just songs that remind you of the fall season, throw some of those songs in there too. And so I kind of have a mix of both because while Halloween isn't my favorite time of year, the fall season is, you know, we live in the Midwest. So when you think about, you know, around September through mid-November, you know, it's not too cold where you have to, you know, be all bundled up, but it's not warm enough to walk around with sandals, shorts, and a t-shirt. You're going to have to wear a nice hooded sweatshirt, maybe some sweatpants. Maybe You might be able to sneak in some shorts. You're drinking your pumpkin spice lattes. You're drinking your hot apple ciders. You got your Uggs on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whatever getup you get, <laughs> you know, you have for the, um, the fall season. Yeah. yeah. Do what you do. You know, I'm not going to try and um, push my fashion choices on you, but... Ryan and I really wanted to get a nice little catalog of songs that remind us of the spooky season, but also just remind us that, you know, it's time to kick up with a nice apple cider and maybe a a blueberry muffin or scone. Yes. So um, I picked five songs. How many songs did you pick this time around? Uh, I have four and a half. Okay. Um, So I have four unique songs with one remix. Interesting. So what we'll do is, you know, 
however you want to do it, Ryan. If you want to give a little intro to your song, you can do that. We'll talk about the song after we give a little play. Uh, but as we mentioned earlier, you know, not all of these songs are going to be absolute bangers. It's more tied to the memory with the song. Mm -hmm. So um, I have a mix of both. I have some bangers. I have some songs that, you know, aren't going to um, do anything for most people, but they do a lot for me because they bring me back to the time that I originally played that particular video game. But why don't you get us started with your first selection, Ryan? Yes. My first one is probably my first horror game that I ever played. Mm. And that it's thanks to you. So the song's name is Omen. Um, but I never really played horror games. I had never really watched a ton of horror until I met you and you're kind of the bad influences to most of the things I do nowadays. Uh. Um, so you had suggested uh, maybe four years ago at this point that I pick up this game called Bloodborne. Oh. And it is probably this, my first kind of, it's a Lovecraftian, gothic style, very dark and things popping out from behind hallways. And this song really kind of embodies that kind of the gameplay as a whole. So this yeah. is the song that is in the trailer for Bloodborne. Ooh. So if you want to cue that one up. Spooky. All right, let's tune in. Yes. I actually got goosebumps re-listening to that with headphones on. Um, it's such a great game. Um, this got me into my love of the FromSoft series. And, I mean, this song kind of embodies the feeling you'll get going through those corridors. You have people chanting. You have the, like, heavy strings. It sounds like a cello. 
Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of violins and cellos, so just having this like eerie strings in the background is just great. Um, definitely worth playing if you haven't played Bloodborne. Um, I need it. I might actually just go home and play Bloodborne at this point. I wish the headphones on, but yeah, that's my first song. What about what's your first one? Well, before I go into the first one, I, yeah, I do want to compliment you on the choice. It's it's an excellent choice, and um, you know, in the beginning of this song, it kind of reminded me almost of Game of Thrones. Yeah, and then later when it was just like those quick plucks of the cello or whatever instrument that was, it really reminded me of just kind of a uh, a trailer for some horror flick like this summer. <laughs> <laughs> the one-eyed scarecrow is well, back to take revenge. It also really reminded me of the music played in like the Resident Evil Village, mm. kind of. Yeah, um, I could see that being overlaid over that as well. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't pick anything from Resident Evil this time around, just because right, wrong, or indifferent. I don't feel like Resident Evil has. People are probably going to come after me for this, but. I typically have an ear for music and video games and Resident Evil is one of those series where when I notice it most is when I come to a place of serenity and a a save room. Mm -hmm. Like that's the music that's most notable to me because I feel at peace that I can finally save my game and take a deep breath. But outside of that, there's just so much other craziness going on that I don't really take a a notice to it, but um, funny enough, Bloodborne, uh, I know it kickstarted your love of FromSoft, but I literally put that case next to my computer when I was studying for the CPA exam as motivation to keep studying so that as soon as I passed my next exam, I could finally play Bloodborne. So it was kind of my motivation to get through that whole exam process. So good stuff. The entire soundtrack is amazing. There's a few that I was debating on um, really all the boss battles, the atmosphere that those and like the intensity that the music creates is definitely noticeable. I generally tune it out and just accept it or tune out music and accept it as helping the ambiance of uh, the gameplay. Mm-hmm. So I don't hear individual songs, but Bloodborne Battles are one that I actually listen to. Um, Ludwig, both phases of that fight are fantastic. If you want another good one. Really, just look up any of the boss battles, but I would, yeah, push any of the listeners to go listen to Ludwig's song from the uh, first boss in the DLC. Good stuff. Excellent choice. Very fitting for you, for sure. Uh, my first choice is a little uh, little different than that, a little bit of a happier? different mood. <laughs> I would say absolutely a bit happier and comes a few years before Bloodborne released. I talked about the series earlier in this episode. This comes from a little game on the N64, and that's Mario Party 2. Really? Yes. So this comes from one of my favorite boards. I believe we're either getting the exact same board in Mario Party Superstars, or we're getting kind of a rendition, reimagined uh, board from Mario Party 2, and that is the the Horror Land. Okay. Um, And so... Nothing too particularly memorable about the track itself. Like anyone that's familiar with Mario Party 2, this will hopefully bring you right back. And and Mario Party 2 was was so special for me growing up because it was the game very much like Diddy Kong Racing that my sister and I were able to get people to play that weren't used to playing video games. Most notably my mom and my dad. Um, my dad probably being the person who played this with us more often than not. And this was the level that we wanted to do, you know, 45 or 50 turns, whatever the max wow. was in the little alarm clock that you set, you set for the number of turns for a round. And 
I don't know. This is just one of my favorite boards because I don't even know if they do it nowadays with Mario Party. They may do, but I noticed it more when I was a kid is each of the characters would put on uh, an outfit to kind of be themed around wherever you were going. So if you went to the pirate ship, everyone's wearing uh, little pirate outfits and gear. Uh, and when you go to horror land, you know, everyone's kind of dressing up in these fun little costumes to kind of complement the, the board that you're going to be going to. So um, what do you say, Ryan, we take a little listen to the Mario Party 2 horror land theme. Let's do it. brings me right back hopefully for anyone else familiar with mario party 2 it does the same for you what i love about these kind of more simpler n64 ps1 era songs is that there's really just like 30 seconds of a music loop and yeah. then it kind of just continues looping you know the nothing like because yours was really kind of multi-layered you know it, it had these like crescendos and then it would slow down a little bit and then you'd have the the choir singing and you know just the different instruments but back then really just a 30 second loop <laughs> And they kind of just more like 16 bit feel when you you wonder why, like it's so ingrained into my brain, because we'd be playing that board for like three hours at a time. And it's that 50 turns and it's that same song on loop over and over and over again. Yeah. And that helps make it a classic. I never played Mario Party 2. I don't know what Mario Party we played that one uh, New Year's Eve at your place, um, but yeah, again, my main interaction with this series is because of Rusty. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up purchasing the new one on Switch. Um, nothing as kind of iconic or more recognizable for song-wise as this one. Um, this really brings me back to that sunshine level where you're going through that hotel with the ghosts. Mm. Um, it almost has like a Luigi's Mansion kind of feel to it um, with a bunch of more chimes or xylophone or whatever. Uh, that little pinginess is to this song. But yeah, I could definitely see this getting or being an addicting tune to play 50 rounds to. Oh, yeah, for sure. And kind of one other thing that I did uh, for our prior 
memory of melody segment is not only do I want to celebrate, you know, and remember my memories playing this game, but when I pull these videos up on YouTube and I reminisce, I also love, you know, kind of combing through the YouTube comments and finding why other people find this song to be so special. So I try to take the greatest hits from YouTube. I either found like two to three comments for each of the songs that I selected. So I'll go ahead and kind of read through these. I didn't capture the actual person's username or anything like that, but uh, I figured it'd be kind of fun to, to see why other people are kind of nostalgic for some of these songs. So the first person here says, you know, I always wondered why in Mario Party 2, the characters dressed up like the theme of the board Meanwhile, in other Mario Party games, they're just in their usual clothing. Hmm. Which I totally agree. I kind of said earlier before we kickstarted the song is that uh, I love and I'm looking at the the thumbnail of the song now and you got, you know, little Donkey Kong has a cute little orange uh, witch's hat on. Yoshi's got his little pirate hat on and Wario's in a little space suit. It's just so adorable. So I love how they modeled the characters' outfits based on the theme of the board. Very good stuff. This next person says, I can remember playing this game all the way back in 2001, 2002, with my cousins on a CRT up on the second floor. I'll play this again, I'll play this game again sometime. The maps and minigames still hold up to this day, which I completely agree. Yeah. But enough about me, Ryan, enough about my first choice in Mario Party 2. What do we got to listen to for your second song? Uh, so this one is kind of more of a fall feel, I guess. It, some ties to Halloween. Um, so back when we were kids, my mom was really into one cassette tapes and CDs, but going back before that records. And we had a record player in the basement and we'd have a bunch of different songs. We'd have like the Pointer Sisters. We'd have like Rubber Band Man. Um, and there's one song that we'd... Like, we'd listen to this music while we were just, we ended up, like, building, like, a little tennis court in our basement. We'd hit tennis balls against the wall, and we'd listen to this record player. And one of the songs that we'd always listen to in the fall season is the Monster Mash. Oh, nice. What a classic. So, uh, yeah, my next song is the uh, Monster Mash. Hell yeah. I don't remember this being in a game, but fuck it. <laughs> it's, it's fall related. We make our own rules around yeah. here. Let's listen. It's our damn podcast. That's right. <laughs> we do what we want around here. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster from his slab began to rise. And suddenly, to my surprise, he did the match. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It got on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. Wow. From my laboratory in the castle east wow. to the master bedroom where the vampires feast, wow. the ghouls all came from their humble abode wow. to get a jolt. From my electro They did the mash They did the monster mash The monster mash It was a graveyard smash They did the mash It caught on in a flash They did the mash They did the monster mash The zombies were having fun In a soup The party had just begun In a soup 
guest included Wolfman, Dracula and his son. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the match. They played the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They played the match. It caught on in a flash. They played the match. They played the monster match. Out from his coffin, Rex's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Rack's a part of the band. And my monster mash is the hit of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them what it said. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. The monster mash. And do my graveyard smash. Then you can mash. You'll catch on in a flash. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. So, yeah, this one for me, I mean, I have a lot of memories listening to this in our basement. And this was also, I don't know about you or wherever you trick-or-treated. This is kind of the classic song that would play outside of most of the houses in the neighborhood. Um, But, yeah, it's a classic. We typically had thrash metal and John Carpenter's Halloween tune playing (laughs) through our neighborhood when we went trick-or-treating. But um, to each their own, you know, every neighborhood's a little bit different, but... Really fun second choice. I, you know, we definitely have no real restrictions here in the type of things we're playing. I didn't expect you to play a song that wasn't from a video game, but Monster Mash was definitely a very fitting tune. If you're going to play any Halloween song that's not from a video game, that's a good one to pick. Yeah, it is. So that and Thriller, those are kind of the two classic kind yeah. of Halloween songs. Very true. Well, my second one, we're taking a little step back from the spooky and a little step forward into the fall weather type of deal where. There's just certain songs in video games where you just feel uh, a little bit like a different sense of comfort and peace, serenity. And one of the series, especially earlier on in my um, in my eyes, that does that really well is the earlier Pokemon games. Yes. You know, I feel like there's just certain earlier town themes that do a great way of like, hey, This is the place where things get a little too troublesome. You know, Mr. Mime and all the other spooky monsters out there, (laughs) you know, kind of freak you out too much. Just know that you can always come back to your mom's house and chill with the little town themes and your little Pikachus of the world. Um, It's a place you can always come back and feel comforted, right? Yeah. And this song in particular does that really, really well. And that's Little Root Town from Pokemon Sapphire and Ruby. I have the original song queued up from the Game Boy Advance days. I know we also got uh, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire on the 3DS, and I feel like the the remastered version of those tunes are super well done. But if we're going to get the nostalgic juices flowing, we're going back to the OG, baby. And that's what we got to do with Little Root Town. 
you know, I'll tell before we take a listen to the song, why the song is also so special to me is um, I have some pretty fond memories of getting consoles or, or handheld devices uh, for, for Christmases or birthdays or, you know, what have you. But the Game Boy Advance SP in particular, I never had the OG Advance, uh, was something that I really kind of uh, had to try and convince my dad to get. It wasn't something that he was on board with getting just because I already had a Game Boy Color. Why do I have to get another Game Boy console? It took a lot of convincing that, no, you don't understand. Kind of like getting a Wii versus a Wii U. Like, this is an entirely different thing. I need to get it to play all the new games. And my buddy Scott came over with Golden Sun and Tony Hawk Pro Skater and, you know, some of these other games on the Game Boy Advance that I tried to showcase to my dad. Like, no, dad, this is completely different than the games I have on Game Boy Color. He didn't really get it or understand, but um, eventually I did convince him. And similar to, if you remember, speak of the devil, there's my dad there right giving me time. a phone call. We'll give him a call back after the podcast episode. Just about every co- kind of you know podcast episode, my dad's always giving me a ring, but we'll get back to him. Uh, but similar to the story in the last episode when I got the GameCube mm-hmm. and my dad called me up and he's like, hey, I'm a Best Buy. What games do you want? <laughs> type of thing. He kind of did a similar thing with the Game Boy Advance where he was maybe at Target when he got this one. I can't remember, but he, he phoned me up and said, um, hey, I'm at wherever. Uh, they don't have the normal Game Boy Advance SP that your buddy Scott had. They have these weird lime green ones. And it comes packed with Donkey Kong Country. Is that what you want? <laughs> and I said, well, to have a unique console is kind of neat. And I was like, at the time, I was like, I don't I don't want Donkey Kong Country, though. I want Pokemon Sapphire yeah. version. And he's like, okay, well, I'll see if I can find a way to swap the game out, which, of course, it's a brand new system. They're not going to yeah. open up the box and swap the games or anything like that. So. They don't know who they're talking to. This is Rusty, the king of games. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you so, represent America in this console war. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I try to anyways. So um, I ended well, up getting Donkey Kong Country tied in with the system. But my dad also got my sister and I both uh, a lime green Donkey Kong Country themed system. Cool. I got Pokemon Sapphire. My sister got Pokemon Ruby. And unlike when I got Game Boy or the original Game Boy Color and Pokemon Red, it didn't take me an entire week in conversations with my friends in the playground to get out of my damn house. I knew how to do that at this point. (laughs) And when I finally got in my house, I was greeted with the wonderful little Root Town theme. So let's take a listen. Thank you. 
I love Ruby version, <laughs> as I've talked about uh, a million episodes of this podcast. And I almost get teary-eyed hearing this kind of first song. Because, mm. um, I, I mean, I've been in that town so many different times. Probably over five different playthroughs of that game. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it was so interesting. For the first game, you start out at your mom's house. The second game, you start out for silver version, you start out at your mom's house. And this one, they changed it up as they ride you in kind of your moving van mm-hmm. and kind of chuck you out the back. And you, you, you're in this new town, um, and it just changes up the pace of at least the start of the game. And you're greeted by this tune, and then you're also greeted by your mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it's just a great song. It makes me happy. Well, you're not alone in making it feel making you feel happy, Ryan. There's a number of other people that also feel the same way when they listen to this, including myself. I wouldn't have picked it if I didn't. Uh, so I got three comments here. This first one's a little deep. I'm not going to share the whole comment because it's, I want to say dark, but it's very personal. So uh, I'm not going to share everything because it's not my story to tell. But this person says, I had a Game Boy Micro as a kid. My family has always been poor even before I was born. The most expensive things I had was probably my textbooks and my school uniform. But one day when I was seven years old, one of my more well-off relatives came over. They gave me a Game Boy Micro as a parting gift, and there was already a game loaded into it, Pokemon Emerald. I remember playing it day and night, naming my party after characters from picture books, trying to catch Rayquaza with the standard Pokeballs, and winning against the Elite Four with my horribly underleveled Blaziken. (laughs) I'm 17 now, and they go on to say a number of uh, very personal things that I won't get into, but they go on beyond that and say, but whenever I listen to the Little Root Town theme, I'm back to when I was seven years old again, playing Pokemon Emerald on a warm afternoon after finishing my homework. Everything is simple and problems rare. Nostalgia is a bittersweet feeling. Yeah. No, it's it's very true. I mean, listening to some of these, especially the earlier Pokemon games, maybe not the like red and blue version, but definitely the silver and gold soundtrack and then Ruby, which is what I put most of my time into when I was a kid. Um, yeah, it just brings you back. Really does. And I'm a little bit uh, opposite to you where I'm more nostalgic for blue and red mm-hmm. and Ruby Sapphire. Uh, green and silver, I was just so late to the party that I... I don't have necessarily the nostalgic ties yeah. that others do. But moving along, we have two other comments here. This next person says, I'm leaving for college tomorrow. And I cried like a little kid when I listened to this because that's all I am. Just a little kid who doesn't want to grow up yet. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I got a little teary listening to it too. So I feel you, man. Well, and what's really neat about this one, almost in the same way that Toy Story came out when we were kids and then just as we were going to college... Toy Story 3 came out and Andy was kind of um, leaving his toys behind. Yeah. You know, Ruby Sapphire came out when we were probably about 8 to 10 years old. And then when we were in college is kind of around the same time that Ruby and Sapphire had remakes for the 3DS. Yeah. Right. So we were able to kind of reminisce and relive those memories um, with those remakes on 3DS. So very good stuff there. And this- allowing a new generation to play those Oh, really good games. Totally. Absolutely. Uh, This next person says to everyone in the comment section, whether you have had a great or traumatic childhood, had both one or no parents, plenty of friends or none, all kinds of brothers and sisters or an only child, public school or homeschooled. My heart shares this place with you. Life has scattered us worldwide, 
but Little Root Town will always be there to welcome us home. I love you all so dearly, and I am proud of you all. Y'all deserve unconditional love and affection. Oh, little wholesome comment, but I love the comment the person said where life has scattered us worldwide, wherever you are, Little Root Town will always be there to welcome us home. Yeah. Little wholesome YouTube comments. You don't see many of them out you there. You don't, no. A lot of it's, yeah, <laughs> not at all. Which is nice because you go and you 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 research these songs on YouTube, and I think that's probably the most wholesome space on YouTube yeah. is when you're coming to a place where how can anyone do anything but share in a mutual love and appreciation and nostalgic ties to some of these tunes? Yeah, I mean, even the Bloodborne comments – I mean, for the next one, I'll get some comments. We share like in our the- misery. Just like- <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, your eyes have yet to be opened. <laughs> Fear the old blood is probably what's on there most. But yeah, yeah I mean, especially the Pokemon soundtracks, you mm-hmm. can't go wrong with everyone loves those games. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, let's queue up your, your third song here. Yeah, my third one. I'm just going to go straight into the song and then I'll talk about it after. Um, this is a uh, song... Maybe I missed the mark of purely video games. I don't have a ton of experience, like I said previously, with like scary games or fall games specific. But this is a song that really kind of embodies the entire season for me. All right. Well, let's take a listen then. Dude, excellent choice. This comes, of course, from The Prisoner of Azkaban, yes. a Harry Potter film. It's called Double Trouble. Little did I know, I can't believe I, I kind of missed this fact. This is composed by John Williams. For some reason, I thought that Prisoner of Azkaban had a different composer. Must have been that it. I mixed that up with the actual director of the film. But yeah. this is my favorite Harry Potter film. This is my favorite composition from all eight Harry Potter movies. It just has, it's in such contrast to the first two films because I feel like, especially Sorcerer's Stone has so much sound from like the Home Alone movies. Yeah. I just, I I hear so much of Home Alone, especially in the Christmassy themes, but this song in particular, you know, when they're walking into the main hall and they have the giant fucking toads and the the (laughs) choir singing and at the very end they scream like, something. 
it this way comes or whatever oh yeah. dude such an incredible way to open up that film and just the the song itself i think is certainly telling of the darker storytelling that we're going to be getting into from this movie forward yeah no it, it's it's probably my favorite song as well from the entire series um yeah the giant toads are just hilarious and the the kind of tonal shift of the movie it's yeah it's it's great it yeah. definitely because lauren and i i mean similar to you now um most of my memories from fall are there's it's always harry potter marathon like every third weekend it feels like mm-hmm. and it's generally getting some hot cocoa some merry mint cocoa um and just curling up with some blankets in the cold weather and watching like too many hours worth of Harry Potter movies. You can never go wrong. Yeah. It's always such a good time. And yeah, Lauren and I the other night, we were um not really sure what we wanted to watch. You know, we finished our binge of Friday Night Lights and some other shows and we figured, what the heck? Let's put on a Harry Potter movie. Let's get our switches. Let's uh order a pizza and let's watch a good movie. And of course we, you know, um, we narrowed in on Prisoner of Azkaban just yeah. because Chamber of Secrets and Sorcerer's Stone we watch so many times throughout the year just as background noise when we're maybe doing things around the house. But Prisoner of Azkaban, it, it really does kind of um, embody the whole Halloween season. Yeah, it does. So much of the film does too. So uh, I, I don't know if they've ever had a Halloween because, I mean, it's witches and wizards and stuff. If they, I know they celebrate Christmas in the movie, but do they have Halloween ever as an event? Maybe uh, going to Hogsmeade? Maybe. Yeah. Fact check, check us, Chrono, out there and other yeah. Harry Potter fans. But yeah, definitely embodies ho- the Halloween sound. Oh, it's so good, man. Excellent choice. Uh, double trouble, Mr. John This was Williams one of the himself. ones I expected you potentially to have on your list. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. And then the next one, I apparently don't, but like you definitely... I thought you would have. So okay, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But uh, my next song, I really hesitated to put on here because I didn't want to be a Debbie Downer. Uh, this song is is pretty dark, and for anyone that's played the game, it's gonna kind of bring back some PTSD from a 2020 release. Uh, I I kind of went back and forth between uh, the theme of the first game. Uh, the theme of the second game is very similar, of course, uh, composed by Gustavo Santaolalla. Uh, the composer for The Last of Us series. Okay, Okay, and so this song in particular I love because when you talk about melancholy, unnerving, a a bit depressing and sad, but also just kind of really moody and and it feels like it's complementary to the Halloween season, this is the song that plays at the very end of The Last of Us Part 2. So I'm going to take a different approach with this one. I'm not going to read any comments on YouTube. I'm definitely not going to talk about, you know, my feelings towards it and how um, it ties into the story, just because I know there's so many people out there that have yet to play The Last of Us Part 2. And even if you've played Last of Us Part 2, the last thing I want to do is talk through why this song makes you feel like absolute crap, because the end of that game, as the title of the song it really, I think, captures the the feeling of both the player and the protagonist. The song title is Beyond Desolation, which I don't know how else you describe <laughs> yeah. the end of The Last yeah. of Us Part 2. Yeah, we'll let this speak for itself. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and take a listen to this one.
Yeah, so this song like perfectly embodies the end of that game. Um, I don't. You come out of that game just being so depressed, and this like slow strumming on the guitar with like a heavy bass at the end kind of embodies that. I mean, I, you feel like I got done it. I, I wanted to finish The Last of Us Part Two, and I got done at like three in the morning trying to knock it out so we could talk about it and. I just felt like I got kicked in the nads. Like I, I was, the credits started popping up. I got a knock on the door. They're like, "Oh, hey, just let, did you uh, finish Last of Us Part Two just a second ago?" I'm like, yeah. And then he's like, "Whoosh, <laughs> right in the nads. And I'm like, "Okay, have a good night." And just close the door. And then, yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly how you feel. I don't know if you felt that way, but that's exactly how I felt. Yeah, no, I didn't get a kick in the nads, but I definitely emotionally... Maybe it's the deluxe version of the game of <laughs> free nad kicker at the end. Yeah, but certainly by the time the credits rolled, I felt like emotionally everything of of everything good and joyful <laughs> in the world had been completely stripped from me. Play Last of Us Part 2. <laughs> We're really selling it. Game of the year. Um, yeah, I, guess I mean, I we've already spoken this game to death. I'm not going to get into spoiler territory. We're not going to you know, say anything more than we've already said. But yes, the game is not for the faint of heart. Uh, it is a brutal journey. Uh, I still think it's worth playing, especially if you've played part one. Uh, but I also think the first game stands on its own, uh, even with what happens towards the end of it. I just, we didn't necessarily need the answers. Right. But mm-hmm. we got them and I'm not really sure I ever wanted the answers, but yeah, <laughs> I, I probably should have like head cannon stuck with one and just never played another game. Maybe I but... probably won't play three if it comes out. Yeah, that's true. I'll, yeah. I'll watch you play three. We'll see what happens. We but together. 
Ryan, can you take us a little happier? Yeah, so happy shit. Uh, So my song, my fourth one, is a game that you required me to play to be your brother-in-law or just to be in the family, which is from Kingdom Hearts 1. Okay. Which is um, Halloween Town. Oh, okay. A little uh, Danny Elfman going on around here. Yes. So, I I mean, I've talked about my Kingdom Hearts experience uh, many times, but yeah, this is kind of the song that really embodies Halloween for me. I mean, it's literally called Halloween Town, so no shit, Sherlock. But, like, yeah, it's a great, I mean, similar to your Mario one. It's got the beats and the bumps and the creepiness of it, and then you got, like, that bag sack man in that town. Oogie Boogie. Yeah, Oogie Boogie. Mm -hmm. So for this one, I have the original first, and then I have the remixed version. Okay, well, let's take a listen to the first one, and then we'll get into the remix after we provide some commentary on the first. All right. Yeah, so this one, I never saw the uh, movie that this is from, which is Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, But yeah, hearing this song definitely, I feel like, embodies the characters and the skeleton man guy who's in this town. Mm, Yeah, I think that's how the director described him, too. (laughs) Skeleton man guy. (laughs) Oh, my God. Off camera, I thought the movie was called like Skeleton or like Halloween Jack or something. (laughs) I, I don't know. I've never seen this movie. But yeah, I mean, you've obviously heard this song a few times because they've had it Halloween Town in a few different Kingdom Hearts. They have. Yeah. And there's also a game on PS2. It's kind of like a action beat em up 3D platformer type of thing. Similar to Pumpkin Jack. We talked about earlier in the episode. It's The Nightmare Before Christmas, Oogie Boogie's Revenge, I think is the name of it. Okay. And I have not played it, but I've heard that it's about an eight to 10 hour game. And this song literally plays for the entire eight to 10 hours on loop. Oh, God, I jump off a cliff. So, <laughs> if I don't know for eight to ten hours if I could listen to this song. Like, it's I like hard the enough. two minutes of it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard enough when you're in Halloween Town and Kingdom Hearts listening to it on loop for, you know, the however many hours you're there uh, grinding away. But I can't imagine eight to ten or twelve hours listening to that song on repeat. Unless it's the remix, oh. which we also got. Is it pretty good? Okay, I've it's never heard good. this. 
Uh, but what do you say? We just jump right into it, right? Let's do it. All right. Yeah, so definitely a more upbeat song that you could listen to uh, 10 hours to. I was about to say, if we're going to get a little uh, Oogie Boogie's Revenge going on anytime soon, I definitely want that song playing in the background than the normal one. Yeah, so that's I, I really like techno music, and this is kind of the type of uh, remixes that I listen to generally. Mm-hmm. With, you have some bass change, beat changes. So yeah, that's my uh, fourth and fourth and a half song. Good stuff. Well, we got two back-to-back rusty tunes, so we can only imagine what type of games are going to be represented here. This first song here, number four, um, it's a little spooky, not too spooky, but uh, definitely more spooky than something like uh, Little Root Town 
for sure. And I don't even really have a particular story or memory tied to this one. It should go without saying that if I'm ever going to bring up Banjo-Kazooie on this podcast, <laughs> it kind of just represents the entirety of my childhood, right? I yeah. That was a game I went back to so many times, even more so than Super Mario 64. Uh, I have absolutely zero shame in admitting that I've never beaten Banjo-Kazooie. I've also said a number of times that I've never, ever, ever been good at video games, especially when I was a kid. And I always had my buddy Scott help me with the more challenging boss battles or if I just couldn't progress the game. Kingdom Hearts being another example, I didn't beat Kingdom Hearts, the, the first game, until I was an adult, right? I got to Maleficent and I thought that was the final battle in the game. And I just wasn't leveled up enough. Yeah. And I got so frustrated as a kid that I would just tend to restart the game. That was a hard fight. That's kind of like the DPS check and kind of level check to, I mean, getting to Ansem, which was just fucking off the charts. But like, yeah. Yeah. So Maleficent little, is, was a hard one. So little did I know until I was an adult that Maleficent is really just the first <clears throat> domino among a crazy boss rush challenge yeah. in Kingdom Hearts. But anyways, getting back to Banjo-Kazooie. This is a very fitting song for the spooky season. If you're familiar with Banjo-Kazooie, uh, it needs no introduction. However, I will say, at the time of this recording, our boy Grant Kirkhope, we had him on episode 50, be sure to check that out, <laughs> got my record signed by him three times, not once. Yeah. He actually just released a 10-track kind of remake rendition of some of the more notable, famous Banjo-Kazooie tunes, including this particular track, Mad Monster Mansion. It's a favorite of mine. I'm sure it's a favorite of many, but I think it perfectly complements the spooky season. What do you say? We take a listen. Bring us in. Thank <laughs> you. 
No, man. So freaking good. You know, Grant Kirkhope is one of those composers where when you hear a Sega Genesis song and someone says, is this from the Super Nintendo era or is this on the Sega Genesis? And you immediately know that the Genesis just has a different sound. And I feel like Kirkhope's compositions, you kind of just know that it's a Grant Kirkhope song. Yeah, uh, That's one of my favorites from the Banjo-Kazooie soundtrack. I love all of the kind of stock, you know, sounds from the animals like you have the the <laughs> wolf howling to the moon you have the the frog and the owl hooting and all those things but what do you think of the tune i really liked it yeah far more animals than i expected um i never played banjo kazooie or really any of those early platformers but yeah he definitely does have a very distinct sound mm-hmm. um to him but yeah i the remix is this the one that you were showing me earlier the remix no the remix i was playing for you earlier was spiral mountain Okay, and that's that a song one's also really good. That plays at the beginning of the game. So maybe if you stay around for the end of this episode, you might get a sneak peek to Grant Kirkhope's remake of the Spiral Mountain tune. But Yeah, shout out to Grant Kirkhope. I know he's hurting for views and just recognition, so we're promoting him here on <laughs> Otaku Brothers. Every single damn episode, yep. right? We always got to mention our boy Grant, for sure. But uh, anyways, Ryan, what do you say we get to my last song here? Let's do it. All right, so you got to have some Kingdom Hearts represented in the show. You already came with, with yeah. the Halloween Town <laughs> theme. So, you know, we, we think we might just call, you know, put a plug in it and say we'll be back next week. But no, we're not doing that. We still got one more Kingdom Hearts song to play. And this one does have a little bit of a fun story tied to it. But before we do that, I'm already getting ahead of myself, Ryan, because first we have to read the YouTube comments for... Mad Monster Mansion. All right. I almost skipped over it. So let's go back to Banjo-Kazooie. So we got three comments for this one. This first person says, It has become a tradition for me to blast this every year around Halloween. Same thing with the versions of Click Clock Wood at the start of each season. I thought I was weird for doing that, but thank God YouTube comments exist to reaffirm myself. (laughs) Very true. Grant Kirkhope, you got to play him in all kinds of seasons. Freeze Easy Peak, you got to play it around Christmas. It's just the good stuff. Second bullet point here from another person says, I remember playing this game in 1998. This level and song literally made my appreciation grow for the month of October and Halloween as a whole. Couldn't agree more. This last person says, Grant Kirkhope equals best childhood music. All the music he composes sounds so catchy. I love all the songs and I'll never forget them. So, so true. So many memorable soundtracks across so many N64 greats. Grant Kirkhope must have been a busy man in the late 90s. Yeah, he defined a generation of platformers. Really did. Really did. All right, now we can move along to the fun story around Kingdom Hearts. And this is not the first Kingdom Hearts game. So I think I've also said on prior episodes that for whatever reason, it took me many, many years before I ended up playing Kingdom Hearts 2. Maybe it was because I thought it was disingenuous to not see credits in the first game before going to the second game. That's fair. I don't know what it was, but I didn't play Kingdom Hearts 2 until I think I was maybe in college. It was when I started my YouTube channel because I I vividly remember going to a particular YouTuber's uh, channel when you could leave comments on their channel. Yeah. It almost, back in the day... YouTube channels almost look like a MySpace page. Pretty much, yeah. You know, you kind of had your favorite YouTubers listed. Um, you had like a whole chan- uh, comment box where you could leave people comments and stuff like that. 
When I started playing Kingdom Hearts 2, I left a comment on Gamester81's YouTube channel mm-hmm. because at the time of Algen Gamers, he, when they were talking about the games they've been playing recently, he was talking about going back and playing Kingdom Hearts 2. So when I started playing it, I felt an obligation to the guy to go to his YouTube channel and say, Gamester, I'm also playing Kingdom Hearts 2 right now and I'm really enjoying it. And he actually gave me the courtesy of going to my YouTube channel and replying and saying, hey, glad you're enjoying it. That's really cool. But anyways, getting to the fun little story here. So for whatever reason, I didn't go out and buy this game myself. My sister was dating someone at the time that I didn't have a tremendous amount of respect for. My dad didn't have a tremendous amount of respect for. So I stole his copy of Kingdom Hearts 2. Well, at the time, he was playing Kingdom Hearts 2. And he told me exactly that. And I remember he would come over to the house and spend time with my sister, bring his memory card, and had the audacity to ask me if he could play Kingdom Hearts 2 on my PS2 using his memory card. Bastard. I'm a nice guy, so I reluctantly allowed him to play Kingdom Hearts 2. Well, Christmas comes around. And Sarah, my sister, tells me to get super excited because her boyfriend has a a really fun gift for me that I'm going to be super pumped about. And I was like, oh, well, first of all, there's no need for him to get me a gift. That's completely Mm -hmm. unnecessary because I haven't gotten him a gift yet. And my sister was like, well, you better get him a gift. So I'm like, all right. So I went to Best Buy. He's a big fan of Linkin Park. This is about the time that Bleed It Out was like a huge song. Everyone's listening to Linkin Park. Uh, Minutes to Midnight, I think, may have been the album that came out around that time. So I bought him a brand new copy of Minutes to Midnight, took the time to wrap it in wrapping paper. We get to Christmas Day and we're all exchanging gifts. And Sarah's like, you know, you're going to give him the gift? No, yeah, of course. You know, wrapped it for you, went out to Best Buy. I had my dad drive me there, got it for you and everything like that. Hand him the CD. He opens it up. Super happy. Doesn't show a whole lot of enthusiasm. And he's like, oh, yeah, hold on. I forgot your gift in my car. And I was like, oh, no worries. So he runs out to his car. He comes back in and has the audacity to pull his copy of Kingdom Hearts 2 out of his pocket, not even in the original case. He literally just handed me the Kingdom Hearts 2 disc and said, Merry Christmas, buddy. What an asshole. <laughs> and I like... You have to have the case. What the fuck? <laughs> I didn't even know how to respond. I just looked at him. I, I What you should have done is taken the Linkin Park CD out of the case and handed him the fucking disc and broken it over your knee with the case. Like, you're welcome. <laughs> I should have done that, but, you know, I was... I was kind enough to respectfully accept, you know, basically his hand-me-down copy of Kingdom Hearts 2. Like, I wouldn't have given a fuck if he gave me his copy of Kingdom Hearts 2 and at least had the case in the manual. You know what? Screw the manual. You don't even have to wrap it, bro. But just give me the game with the case. That's weird. It's also weird to think that I played Kingdom Hearts 2 before you did. I played it like the weekend it came out. Without playing the first game? Yeah, I didn't own a PlayStation at all. Until 3. So I played at like a friend's house and we played like the first five hours. Wow. I had no idea who any of these characters were. Because I thought Sora like changed his hair. 
Well, so that's that's what gets into the fun of this next song. So um, hopefully everyone enjoyed that little story. But getting into my actual song selection, tying back to the theme of songs that just give me a comfort for the fall season. When I played Kingdom Hearts 2, I also didn't know what the heck was going on because I wasn't playing as Sora. Yeah. Now, at this point, of course, I'd, I'd played games like... Uh, 358 over two days. I had read magazines about Kingdom Hearts 2. I knew that the opening three to five hours you played as this other young boy named Roxas in uh, Twilight Town. But nothing could have prepared me for Yoko Shimomura's theme that plays while you're in Twilight Town, and that's Lazy Afternoons. One of my favorite tracks in all of Kingdom Hearts uh, rivals my love and comfort for Traverse Town, because yeah. I spent so much time in Traverse Town as a kid because there's so many back and forth things that you have to do in that city that I always lost my sense of direction, what I was supposed to do next, what I needed to do to queue up that next cutscene. Yeah. Uh, but Lazy Afternoons is one of those places that you know the end is coming. You know that eventually after you do all of these chores around town, you're going to be playing as Sora because you saw that you were reunited in, you know, screenshots and reading Game Informer magazine that eventually you're playing as Kingdom Hearts or you're playing as Sora running through all of these different worlds. Um, but a little part of me never wanted to leave Twilight Town because of this particular song. Let's take a listen. Yet another cozy, comforting fall tune, Kingdom Hearts 2, Lazy Afternoons by Yoko Shimomura, one of my favorites from the entire series. And we got a couple other people that I think would tend to agree from the old YouTubes. This first person says, I swear these video game composers always write these soundtracks like, quote, you're going to listen to this years later and remember the good times. Yeah. So true. true. Yeah. You know? Because uh, even all the kids, you know, Roxas, uh, I think Odette, Hayner, and one of his other friends, they're just like, we don't want summer to end. We don't want summer to end. We just want to eat our sea salt 
ice cream, which I thought was that was weird. They also have like was it sea salt or saltwater taffy? Yeah, it's just the mixture. I, I haven't heard of. I guess it for ice cream. Then you got Zion and Axel and it, it's Shion. It's Shion. <laughs> it, it has a weird. It's X. <laughs> however, that letter is pronounced. Oh, whatever. Fuck you look, hooked on phonics. Yeah, let's keep going here. This next person says, "Hard to believe I'm going to be a senior in high school tomorrow. Seems like yesterday I would sit in my big brother's room and start a new game on Kingdom Hearts 2 just to play as Roxas and listen to this song. I know it's corny." But with my final summer break ending, I felt like I had to listen to this one one more time and think, looks like my summer vacation is coming to an end. Yeah. So fitting. It does bring you back. Absolutely. And then this last person says, the Kingdom Hearts 2 prologue is one of my favorite segments in any game ever. I have such a strong emotional connection with it, and this song really intensifies that. Takes me back to playing Kingdom Hearts 2 in my room as a kid. I see at first I didn't I wasn't sure like I wasn't sure if I liked it I I wanted to kind of go coming off of Chain of Memories being my first one into just Sora but like I've definitely come to appreciation playing the full game starting out and this song is amazing like similar to the Pokemon song earlier it has the same type of like welcoming feel Mm -hmm. like welcome to this awesome game yeah absolutely and it is almost fitting too because well we're not going to get into the story beats of why you know Sora gets into like a, a a frozen chamber and seals himself through time for however many years it is. But um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm like, what the fuck did he do that? Wasn't he like losing his memories in a castle of like death? Probably maybe? beats the heck out of me. <laughs> That's the game you skipped. It was but yeah, but it is nice to have like this. Um, I don't know. Almost like this person said prologue into the events of Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah, because stuff gets really crazy in two, and to have this more kind of um, more grounded, ch- yeah, more chill and grounded experience to kind of kickstart that or to kind of transition you into that, I think is really nice and, and uh, underappreciated, maybe. Yeah, I mean, like the whole segment is like running around with your friends, mm-hmm. yeah, and just kind of enjoying. Like you get a job and you skateboard, and like it's yeah, it's pretty chill. Definitely. Well, Ryan, that is a wrap for our. Th- or technically third, but the second that we've done together, Memory of Melodies segment. Uh, I would love to put a call out to the listeners. I didn't take any uh, user submissions this week because uh, we already have 10 songs that we listened to and we're already over, well over the two hour mark. But that does not or shouldn't stop anyone from going to the Discord. If you're not there, click the link in the show notes and submit some of your, you know, favorite songs from the Hollywood Hollywood? It's Hollywood. There's Bollywood in India, but America's is Hollywood. I was going for Halloween, but... (laughs) Dude, I don't know where you're going. (laughs) Submit some of your favorite Halloween-themed video game tunes. Get in the Discord, drop them in there. Maybe send us an email at otakubrotherspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get the discussions going with some of the spooky season themes, even if... You're listening to this episode after October 31st. There's no reason you can't go back and reminisce on some of those favorite Halloween tunes. But Ryan, I also want to just say a few short things before I toss it over to you. If you're enjoying what you're hearing and you want to show your appreciation for the show, why don't you go over to Apple Podcasts and write us a little review? It's been a while since Ryan and I have asked for um, asked for people to do that. And we'll, we'll read your review on the show. 
you know, rate us five stars. Tell us what you love about the show. Maybe provide some constructive criticism about things that we should shake up or change moving forward. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have any suggestions for future topics for the show, or maybe you have some very specific and pointed questions for Ryan and I, go over to the email and write us a little note, otakubrotherspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, but Ryan, we come to that point in the episode where I got to put it back at you. Do you have any parting words or fun facts for our listeners? Yeah, I got some facts. Um, just some weird like food-related facts that kind of throw me off or not really intuitive. Um, so the first one is our pineapples are grown on bushes and not trees. Really? And I always kind of lump them in with like coconuts that like they grow up in trees and you kind of have to hit them down. But they're actually kind of in bushes, which is odd. Is that how you grow them in Animal Crossing? They're not in Animal Crossing. Coconuts are. Mm, okay. And that's why I didn't know about pineapples because all of my knowledge about fruit <laughs> is from Animal Crossing. Understandably so. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the next one is peanuts are grown in the ground and not in trees. Hmm. So you think of like walnuts are in trees, acorns are in trees, but peanuts are grown in the ground. Interesting. Yeah. And then the last one are peanuts are not nuts. They're lagoons. Well, I feel cheated. I know, right? You name things with nuts in the name and then all of a sudden they're not nuts. Very interesting. Well, as Ryan and I have said since episode one of Otaku Brothers, this is an educational program. And more recently, probably the past 30 or 40 episodes, I've challenged Ryan to bring some fun, unique facts at the end of every episode. Given that this is an educational program, you need to walk away from the show learning at least one new thing every single episode. So hopefully we've done that. If not for those fun facts, maybe earlier in the show when we shared any other inkling of wisdom or knowledge. But um, don't hold us to it because, you know, sometimes we're not always bringing the most unique fun facts, but um, pretty unique. they're fun and unique nonetheless. All right. So Ron and I will be back in a couple weeks. Again, not sure if it'll be two or three, and I'm not even sure what we're going to be talking about, but because I, I don't have my agenda up, but yes, definitely look forward to us bringing Mr. Pete Dorr back on the podcast pretty soon. All right. Be well, be safe as it gets a little colder out there, everyone, and keep playing those good video games.